Good morning and welcome to ASL's HR in 10. At 10. I'm Jason Perry. And I'm Kimberly Bradshaw. And this week we're really hoping we're going to have much better sound because Kimberly's got a very posh new microphone clipped to her. so Which I've managed to set up myself. With a bit of luck, we've managed to get rid of the echoes. Um, we are live, um, and seeing as Kimberly's got all this clever new technology, it's only fair that we keep her on our toes. So if you have any questions you want to ask, do type them into YouTube, and we will do our very best to comment on them whilst we're on air. Kimberly. Shall we start with something a bit different? I know it's a subject we were really hoping to get to on yesterday's HR forum, but there's been some interesting work and uh, views on the future of the working week, haven't there? Yes, and there's a lot of talk about moving from a five-day to a four-day. My personal view, having worked part-time in the past, is that you work less hours, well, you work less days, but you still do the same volume of work, so you're out, your days are longer. <laughs> yes, there's, um, and I can't remember which one it was, but there's a, a, a think tank that has predicted that the, um, how shall I put it, that the return to the five-day working week with us all going back into an office will happen within two years. Um, and that this is kind of, I guess that the concept here is this is an experiment that's not going to work and we're all going to settle back to it. I think that's going to be difficult to achieve. There's so many people that have had a much greater work-life balance as a result of working from home. Yes, I can understand that employers want people in from time to time, but everyone in all the time? Absolutely not. I think there's going to be a big struggle, and I think the current working, uh, flexible working request policies are going to have to change. Yes, and I think it's something... Um... You know, I, I feel a little bit odd saying this, given my, my my age, as it were. But I think this is something kind of as significant as the Second World War, when we've changed working practices because everybody's done something different, found a new way of life works. And I, th I think we're just going to see a step change in, in, in how the world operates. Yes, and not surprisingly, I completely agree with you. Uh, I think some of the the view about being pushed back into the office is driven by some of the, dare I say, uh, employers or line managers of a certain age who, unless you're present, you're not working. Yes. And they think that if you're working from home, you're skiving off. Uh, and there will be some people that have learned that that isn't the case during this pandemic but I still think there were some that um, you know just is the way they work and makes them feel more comfortable. I, I was tempted to use the word bean counters. <laughs> uh, yeah I think it can spread beyond bean counters actually. <laughs> we, we're in that area aren't we and I, I think the thing that interests me is this piece of research has been done and People Management, the HR uh, magazine, um, online publication these days. I'm showing my age, aren't I? Um, but People Management has done some research into this and looked at where the views in HR are. And it really is very clear that the HR community believes that this is here to stay and is identifying some very tangible benefits from it. 
Yes, and it reflects what we were talking about early, uh, a few weeks back where there was, I can't remember what the statistics actually were, but there was a very high percentage of people that wouldn't go to a new employer unless they offer flexible working or a hybrid model um, or they would leave their current employment if there wasn't a hybrid yes. option. So I think there's a lot of learning for employers to to be had here. Yeah. I think it's going to be market driven and I've, I'm sure I've made this point before, but so many employers are changing their the infrastructure, the fabric of their office setup um, to allow for this new flexible working. And I think as a significant minority, at least, of employers move that way, that's going to feed directly into recruitment and retention. So I do think this is here to stay. Mm, me but, too. Yes. Let's... Let's move on. There's been a couple of really, I say really interesting, people like me and you and lawyers get fascinated by tribunals. Um, Horrible for the people going through them, though. Absolutely. Um, but the one that really caught my attention, we've been talking quite a bit about gender equality recently with the, uh, I think it was Taylor versus Jaguar Land Rover case was a really interesting one a few weeks ago. But the other big one has been the Force Data versus the Centre for Global Development, hasn't it? It has. I think that's really interesting because um, the original uh, findings have been uh, turned over. Uh, as I understand it, um, the uh, force data, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, lost a tribunal in 2019 um, and their contract wasn't renewed. And this yes. was on the basis of making a comment saying that... Um, trans women weren't real women. Yes. Uh, it, it was an interesting one because it's been very controversial and I think it kind of fed to some of J.K. Rowling's comments at the time that caused her all sorts of problems on social media. But the, the principle of the comments, as I understand them, was that she wasn't being in any way uh, critical or disrespectful to the individuals but she was more kind of trying to have an intellectual discussion and debate about what she perceived as facts and biological facts of there is a difference between somebody who was born a woman and somebody who has um, transitioned to being a woman, if I'm picking the right language. And I'm very cautious of my language when I say something like yeah. this. Um, and there was some really damning views that came out of the tribunal, effectively comments I think from the judge of the first one, that was something like there is no place for views or comments like this in a democratic society. And she really, really was crushed first time round in 2019. But this has gone to the Employment Appeals Tribunal and she has effectively won on the basis that she has the right to free speech. And whilst her views may not be uh, acceptable to everybody, they are held by a substantial proportion of the population and they are entitled to be treated as a philosophical belief or a religion in terms of the 2010 Equality Act. And therefore, she's entitled to discuss and voice them as long as it's not in a disparaging way. Mm. Yes, I think that's the key point. I think what you said about context, um, yes, I can understand if you're a trans woman, it would be a horrendous thing to have somebody say. And 
in the context she was talking about it, where it was biological and sort of clinical, um, and in a free society, we all have the right to our own views, again, provided they don't hurt anybody. Yes. And so, you know, on that basis, they've overturned the decision. They have. Where this gets really interesting, though, because this is something that people are passionate about on both sides of the debate. There are those that passionately think she is absolutely entitled to free speech and others that think that her view are um, you know, from the dark ages and repulsive to large sections of the community. And it's how we try and get that. So this is largely about free speech. But what it does, in my mind, is it creates a tightrope for employers. Because whilst we have to make sure we're providing equality and fairness for somebody who is, you know, in that um, part of the community trans, you know, either associated with or going through it themselves. We have to make sure they're protected under equality laws. But a colleague sitting opposite them is entitled to free speech if they have a philosophical view that is disagreeing with whether or not that is a biological fact. And is equally protected. Yes. So, and none of the equality and discrimination training really touches on points no, like that. No. Uh, having been through it many times yes, myself. Yeah. So I, I see it's a really interesting thing. And I think the big thing for me, and it's a phrase I've used frequently, um, we need to be tolerant, but also tolerance of intolerance. And we need to kind of allow people to express their views without taking them as an attack and move to a point where, you know, everybody's entitled to their view, even if it's a different one. But this yeah, creates some like real... I phrase you taught your children, and I ah. think that's worth reporting on air. Ah, yes, yes. From a relatively young age, I had great pleasure when my children learned to say, you're entitled to your opinion, but I disagree. And we should have equality of right to opinion. And that's, I think, where we have to strive to. So we are running slightly out of time, but I'm really keen to get one last point in here. We may run a little bit over. There was my favourite tribunal of the week. Um, it's terrible when you have a favourite tribunal of the week, isn't it? My favourite tribunal of the week was about the young idiot... Yes, a lady that worked at Sainsbury's. Uh, had she been there 24 years? with an 24, Yes, 24 yeah. years with a perfect history. Record and um, uh, had a new younger manager who, uh, you know, by all accounts didn't have quite the experience that she was used to in her line managers. Um, do you want to take the story on from there? Because I know I don't, it's your favourite. I don't have the quote in front of me, but um, she... Uh, used social media in a way that I might say was unwise. Um, but what happened, she wasn't blessed with brilliant IT skills and she asked her daughter to set up a Facebook profile for her. And it was set up in a particular way. And she thought she was placing a private message between her and one friend as two friends are perfectly entitled to talk. And she made a comment that effectively said that her new manager was utterly useless and that young idiot doesn't have a clue what they're doing, or, or something to that effect. Fortunately, it only was seen by seven people because she didn't have that many friends and her settings were kind of tied down. But sadly, one of them was a manager at Sainsbury's who took a screen print and immediately shared it with senior management. Um, and she was fired 
Um, and I think the key points here for me, many, many organizations are looking at social media and worrying about what their staff say on it. And I think it's important with this one to look at what happened because Sainsbury's were offended and said, this is outrageous, let's discipline, and it resulted in her dismissal. But what the tribunal effectively found was only a handful of people saw it and therefore it hadn't done any substantial harm. And as such their reaction was disproportionate for somebody, as you said, with a 24-year um, unblemished record. So I think that's key. And I, I think another thing that came up in the tribunal was the fact that the senior management that had been involved were the senior management around this individual. Yes. And so how could it be an objective and independent yeah. investigation? There might have been a little bit of prejudice in how it was handled um, yeah. But the other really interesting bit for me was about policy and procedures. Yeah. We talk about organisations worrying about this. Sainsbury's did have... Apologies for the siren if that's carrying through. It's, <laughs> They're coming for you, Jason. <laughs> it's, it's a warm day and I thought I'd have the windows open and clearly, yeah, something going on outside. Um, the Sainsbury's did have the policies in place to deal with this. Um, which I know many employers do not, but what they didn't do is train her in them. So the yeah. tribunal also found she couldn't possibly have been expected to know how to act in her own social media if no one had ever shared the standards of acceptable behaviour with her. It wasn't in the employee handbook, it wasn't in a way that she'd been trained in, and therefore, how could she take it into account? Mm. I think too often things like this are lost in the depths of weighty HR handbooks, staff yes. handbooks, which they always are, they're given to staff, they sign that they've read and understood, and actually yes. have they, yeah, uh, which totally. is why we do you know, presentations of the handbook yes. so, yeah. and talk people through it. Yeah, and the big takeaway point I'd say here is, yes, get your contracts and handbooks right, but get expert help in doing them so it's positioned in the right way. Having the document alone just isn't enough. Yeah. Exactly. So, on that note, um, I'm going to say this has been HR in 12 and a half or 13 or something. We've gone a little <laughs> bit over time, but hopefully these uh, are useful to you. If they are, do please click the subscribe button and follow us on YouTube. And don't forget to come up with those fun live questions on air for us to keep us on our toes. For now, we say goodbye and we see you same time next week. Thanks for watching. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.